Well, good morning, Northern Hills. Y'all sound like you're ready for a sermon. Sound like you're ready to go. Going to have some fun today. Again, I want to say hey to all you guys online. Peter, special shout out to you. Thank you for the email this week. We see you guys online too. We're so glad you're part of the, the family as well. Now, I had an interesting experience in high school. I dated a girl briefly who was one of seven children. I said it's seven. Now, you might be wondering, was this a Catholic family? And the answer is, of course it was a Catholic family. They had seven kids. What else would they be? But this is also one of the primary reasons Nicole and I only have two children, okay? That, that, that was an influence on the decision process. Now, the actual interesting thing about this little season here was this girl I was just dating here in high school, she had a sister who was also in high school who started dating another guy. Now, I didn't know this guy at all. His name was Brendan. He was at the rival high school in town. But because, you know, we were dating sisters, we ended up seeing each other a little bit. Now, Brendan was what you might call the ultimate bro. Now, if you don't really know what I mean by that, let me explain. Brendan had a certain way of treating and talking about women. He uh, struggled to say phrases without using choice four-letter words. And even as a 16-year-old boy, he was honestly already drinking like a six-foot-six college frat boy. Like, this was Brendan. Now, I got to know him a little bit, and I got little bits and pieces of his story. So he talked about just a little bit of a troubled home, him and his dad having some dynamics. And yet, he still had just a very cocky exterior. And it was even during this time when I actually started going to a high school youth group on Wednesday nights. And so I would sometimes come and pick up the girl I was dating, and he would always say when it came, oh, Brian, you going to that cult again tonight? You going to go check out that cult? And just very abrasive about the whole thing. Now, I need to be honest with you guys. I had developed an opinion of Brendan. In my mind, he was what I would call a hopeless case. I felt like I could envision what his life was going to become over the next 10 and 20 years. And he showed no interest in getting off of that trajectory. And I just assumed, apart from a divine appointment from God himself, this guy was probably going to squander his entire life and do a lot of damage in the process. Now today, we are going to finish up a series we are simply calling Go! Now, this is based on a command we get from Jesus himself in Matthew 28, verse 19, where he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We have a clear charge from Jesus himself, where if you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to go into the places and spaces where your life takes you and bring the love, presence, and transforming power of Jesus into the lives of the people around you. And again, this is kind of intentional because I know right at this moment in the year, for many of us, this is like the starting line of a new season. We're getting back into routines. The school year's starting. We have activities. We're in the work routine, back from vacations, all the different things. And many of us, when we step into this, we see our life is just a drudgery of obligations and full calendars. And I'm hoping that we see this as an opportunity for divine appointments and for God to use us to completely change the spiritual trajectories of people's lives. And I'm hoping even just to reframe things a little bit, because we're talking about this idea of evangelism, and that this doesn't have to be some terrifying thing of awkward conversations or theological debates. 
or getting in fights with family members, but this can be one of the most exciting adventures God takes you on as he uses you to change the lives of other people. And so today, I want to talk about a hopeless case from the Bible. And I think it's going to get us a glimpse into how God works in the lives of people and what he might even do in our own lives in changing the lives of those we care about. So we're going to be in Luke 19. I'm going to start in verse 1. This is a moment in Jesus' life and ministry. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Great name idea for you moms in the room. Any babies come on the way, Zacchaeus? He was, not, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. All right, we got to lay some foundation here. Let's set some context. We get introduced to this guy named Zacchaeus. And he's described as a tax collector. Now, the Roman government, they would hire people to extract taxes from everyone else. I know we know nothing about this, right? This is the first century IRS, okay? And Zacchaeus, he was one of these tax collectors. Now, this is what is interesting. At this time, tax collectors could charge people whatever they wanted. As long as Rome got their cut, they could keep whatever was off the top. And this is how so many tax collectors would get fabulously wealthy. They would gouge other people out of their money. And the Romans, they're not stupid. They would actually hire Jews to extract taxes from other Jews. So some of the rage about this whole system would be turned on their own people. And Zacchaeus, he's not just any tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. He's at the top of the multi-level marketing scheme that's happening here in the first century. He's at the top of the slimy pyramid getting rich off of his own people. A tax collector would be seen as somebody who's totally rejected God himself. It was seen as such a terrible thing to do. Zacchaeus was the ultimate hopeless case. He serves a foreign oppressive government. He works in a crooked industry where he's enriching himself off other people, and the entire religious establishment would have rejected him. And just to make things even worse, the dude's short. He's not even tall. He doesn't even have that going for him. He's a small man. Now, for everybody on video, I'm actually 6'5". It's just the angle of the camera. You just can't really see it that right. And the laughing is because it's true. That's what you hear in the room right now. But we, we digress. Um, do you have any hopeless cases in your life? Do any names come to mind of people where you think, apart from a divine appointment from God himself, they are on a path to squandering their own life? I have so many interesting conversations with people in our church and just in my own life where they'll say, you know, it's so interesting, Brian. I have a sibling, and we grew up in the same exact environment. And yet we have gone in totally different directions when it comes to matters of faith and spirituality. I know there's people in this room. You have a spouse who completely went off the rails. You never could have expected it. We have friends who go into left field. And we even have maybe people in our own life, maybe they end up even becoming super successful and just kind of drifting from God. Some of the most painful ones for me, though, to be honest with you guys, are the parent-child ones. Because I'll talk to moms and dads and They'll have a son or daughter who just keeps making self-destructive decisions. And every attempt they make to intervene in the child's life only alienates them even more. I had a student in a youth group I led at one point 
and he just couldn't get on the right track. We tried everything to get this guy back on the rails and get him in the right direction and such an important age. And it was so hard. And I actually checked in with his mom a couple weeks ago, just, hey, how's he doing? Where's he at? And she said, Brian, he's six months into serving a four-year sentence for some of the things he's done. And I could tell this mom was just so defeated. She's like, I've exhausted every option with this kid. He's got a three-year-old daughter. Like, it's just an absolute mess. And last week, I was actually writing him a letter, and I just had this sick feeling in my stomach as I'm writing the address to the correctional facility where he's going to spend the next three and a half years of his life as a young man. Now, let's go back to the story of Zacchaeus, the hopeless case. He's just hoping to get a look of Jesus. That's all he's looking for. I just want to get my eyes on this guy, and he's going to move on with his life. But something totally unexpected happens. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Jesus has no house manners, just invites himself right over. doesn't even ask for permission. I guess you can do that if you're God. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. You have to realize how ridiculous this is. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. Nobody. This is the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say, you greedy swindler, I shouldn't even be acknowledging your existence right now. You know how many points that would get him with the crowd he was hanging out with? And Jesus, in the most friendly, non-judgmental tone, says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come over and raid your fridge tonight. We're going to have dinner. Cancel your plans. We're going to hang out. I think we grossly underestimate the power of genuine non-judgmental kindness. This is a lost art in our culture. And Jesus was a master at it. Not only that, Zacchaeus is responsive. Like, this guy's like, yeah, come over. Let's have a party. I'm inviting my friends. Now, you, you got to understand, everybody, we assume that nobody's interested in being engaged spiritually in our lives. We just assume that. We're like, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to talk about it. It's worse than talking about politics. Like, we just can't even touch these things. And I understand some of us in here, we do have friends and family members who have made it very clear that they want nothing to do with our religion or faith. I understand that. But... You should never assume somebody's spiritual receptivity just based on appearances. Because sometimes under that surface layer of what just looks like disinterest or passivity, people are hungry for someone to engage them in conversation. They are hoping there's something more to this life. And they don't know how to start that conversation. And they need somebody to step in and engage them. Never assume where somebody's at spiritually just based on appearances. And what I find very interesting about Jesus, you follow his ministry throughout his life, he is always making time for people who don't even believe in him. He's making space in his life for hopeless cases. I'm just wondering today, how much space in your life do you have for people who don't share your beliefs? My biggest concern for some of us is that we have such full calendars, we're so busy, we're so preoccupied that we don't even have time to have a meal. 
a coffee, or just hang out with somebody who would not call themselves a Christian. Do you have any close friends that wouldn't consider themselves Jesus followers? Do you have any time in your life to possibly be used by God for a divine appointment? Now we go back to the Jesus and Zacchaeus situation here. Jesus is coming over for dinner. Look what happens in verse 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's going to be the guest of a sinner. Why is Jesus hanging out with this hopeless case? What a waste of a night. What a waste of a human being. Could you imagine if Jesus was alive during social media? Just imagine all the pictures trending on Instagram right now. Can't you see who Jesus is hanging out with? We would crucify Jesus on every single platform. He'd be killed today just as much. He would not survive today's cultural situation. And yet, Jesus, he doesn't care about optics. Jesus has no concern for keeping up appearances. He doesn't care how a decision is going to affect his approval rating. Jesus made such a habit of this in his life that he actually even developed a reputation. You guys know what he was called? A friend of sinners. You know what my hope and prayer is for us? That that would be our reputation too. I would hope that Northern Hills gets a reputation in here of being the friend of Sinner's Church. I hope people are saying, can you believe those people are going to that church? What kind of crazy church must that be if it has those people in it? I'm hoping we have people saying that about our church. I hope that's your reputation. I pray that we would be so concerned about bringing the grace and love of Jesus to other people that it wouldn't matter who it is or what people say, we are going to make space in our lives for even the most hopeless cases. That's what I want for our church. That's what I want for everybody here. Now, let's go to the party now. How does this thing go down with Zacchaeus and Jesus? Look at verse eight. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What just happened? What just went down at this party? The the selfish, gouging, accumulate-at-any-cost guy is now this generous man of integrity. What happened to this guy? Jesus names exactly what happens in this moment. Because this this is ridiculous that he would even say these things. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today, today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Salvation. Jesus saying, this guy just got saved. He has been saved from his life of greed and deception and accumulation. And now he is living a life of freedom and transformation and generosity, which can only happen from a divine appointment itself. This man had an encounter with the living God, Jesus himself, and it changed everything for him. 
Jesus even says, he's a son of Abraham. But you read that, you're like, well, what the heck does that have to do with anything? And Jesus is pointing to the fact that at this time, Jews traced their physical lineage back to Abraham, the famous patriarch you read about in the Old Testament. That was everything for Jews. Physical descendancy from Abraham. That's how you know you're a true believer. And Jesus flips this thing on its head. He says, it's actually about faith. It's about trust in me that even this grimy tax collector who's been rejected by his own people and the entire religious system is now welcomed into the family of God. That is the power of Jesus right there, everybody. Now, you probably wouldn't recognize this guy. Maybe some of you know him. This guy's name is Brian Welch. Love this picture of him here on the screen. Now, if you don't know who Brian Welch is, he is actually the lead guitar player for a band called Korn. We're all the sinners in the room who like Korn. I know there's some of you guys out there. Where are my 90s folk? I see you out there, okay? You're like, yes. All right. Now, <laughs> Korn was the biggest band on the planet in the late 90s, early 2000s, number one on the billboards, headliner for Woodstock 99. They were the ultimate force of nature. And I will have to add this little side note. They weren't exactly the music you would listen to at church, okay? That's just what I'm going to say there. Now, some of our staff may or may not have attended the corn concert that happened in Denver about a week or two ago. I'm just going to say that on the side. People are cheering for that. I don't know what we should feel about that right now. But if you don't know Brian Welch's story, he was living the ultimate rock star life. Sex, drugs, partying, rock and roll, everything. He was living the dream. And actually, he started to degenerate into having some very, very serious drug addictions. To a point where he was actually on meth every single day for years for a while. He developed such a dependency. In the middle of all this, he has a young daughter. And he realizes his life is starting to get out of control. He even tried going to a rehab at one point, And they told him to his face, they said, Brian... We honestly have almost no success with meth patients. Brian was the ultimate hopeless case. There's no way you're getting through to a guy like this. Well, on a break from a tour, Brian ends up befriending a guy who's a Christian. They just start hanging out. This guy invites him to his church. And Brian shockingly says yes. He attends his church service. And for the first time in his life, as far as he knew, he was hearing about this guy, Jesus, and what he could do in somebody's life. And he re reached such a desperate situation where he went home after that church service and just reached out to God. You can answer that, by the way, if you want to. No, I'm just <laughs> got a phone call. <laughs> Tell us who it was. But so Brian prays to God as genuinely as he, is, as he could think of. And he just says, Lord, if there's any truth to this, if there is any reality to who you are, I, I need you. Like, I, I have lost all my options. And in that moment, he had a divine appointment. And God started to transform his life. He started becoming a present father to his daughter. He started showing respect and dignity to his ex-wife, which was a really contentious situation. And he even became totally 100% free of all of the drugs and even meth itself. He got totally transformed. Totally transformed. And he felt like in that moment, like he just needed a total cleanse. So he actually stepped out of the band for a couple of years just to get his head straight. 
But it was a couple years later where he actually felt God leading him to join the band again and be at the center of the music industry and even a musical genre that honestly does not have a whole lot of Christians in it. And now he is an amazing witness for Jesus at the center of this massive music industry. You know what Jesus said? I came to seek and to save the lost. He came for hopeless cases. He came to bring them into his family and completely transform their lives from the inside out. And every single story is different. Some are dramatic and famous like Brian Welch's. Some are instant. Some of ours, they're more gradual. They're a process. They're more quiet. But every single one is a miracle. It is a divine appointment from God himself. And some of us in here, you actually may not know the rest of Zacchaeus' story. Actually, church, church history tells us that after he had this encounter with Jesus, he got connected to the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' famous followers, and learned under him for a couple of years. He ended up becoming the very first bishop of Caesarea, playing a massive role in the development of the early church and what Christianity has become today. That's Zacchaeus' story. Total transformation. Now, I know there's some of us here today where you feel like a hopeless case. You're thinking, Brian, if you only knew some of the things I've done, where I've been, the mistakes I've made, there's a lot of us in this room, your life has not panned out the way you thought it was going to. And you're thinking, there is no way Jesus would ever come and seek me. I want you to hear me today. With God, there is no such thing as a hopeless case. There's no such thing as a hopeless case with God. And you know what the truth is? Every single one of us is a hopeless case. <laughs> That's every single one of our stories. Every single one of us has been tainted by this thing called sin. We experience the brokenness of this world. Things don't go the way we want. We don't experience the satisfaction God made us for. We don't have the connection with Jesus we were designed to have. Every single one of us, we know that story of trying to fill the void with money, pleasure, career, relationships, all sorts of things. And by God's grace, many of us have learned that that leaves you just as empty as you were before, sometimes more. And thank God for the good news that Jesus came to seek and save every single one of us lost people that were here in this room. And this is so many of our stories. Jesus came and found you. And his grace started to work in your life. And he's changed the trajectory of where you are going. And you, a totally hopeless case, now have purpose and joy and meaning and hope. It ain't perfect, but Jesus is working in your life. And I want some of you to hear me today. Jesus is seeking you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to transform your life. He wants to give you the same experience that he gave Zacchaeus and that he gave Brian Welch, that he gave me and so many people in this room. And you can have that experience. You can invite Jesus into your life. You can do that today. I'm telling you, he will start a transforming work in your life. He has a divine appointment for you. Now, for anyone here who would call themselves a Christian, a follower of Jesus, Jesus is calling you into this seeking and saving mission. He wants you to experience the thrill of being used by him for people to have the same experience Brian and Zacchaeus had. It is the greatest, most fulfilling adventure you could be a part of being used by God for this. 
And I know some of you guys, you're in this room, you're like, well, yeah, Brian, that sounds great. I would love for that to happen. But if I even try to broach the topic of Jesus with a family member or friend, it's like talking about politics. You get shut down immediately. We start fighting. There's threats. It's a terrible experience. And you're like, Jesus, he made this thing look easy. Like in one verse, he gets this guy saved at a party. Like, my goodness, how does this even happen? Like, it's like he's God or something. How do I as a mere mortal even do this? I understand the struggle. And so I want to I help us get a framework for this. How can this look in just our daily lives? How can God even use us in the relationships we have to see those kinds of transformations? Paul was a writer in the New Testament. He wrote a letter to a group of Christians at one point. Still speaks to us today. This is God's word. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, Paul says this, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Now, this is really critical because Paul is just assuming we are going to be living around people who don't share our beliefs. He's assuming this is going to be a part of your life. So hear me today. If you are a Christian and you only have relationships with other Christians, if your only social circle is Northern Hills, you're doing it wrong. Just hear me. You're doing it wrong. (laughs) That is not God's intent. He is expecting us to be in circles and workplaces and neighborhoods where we are going to be in contact with people who want nothing to do with God. But he's not just saying you should live among them. He's saying you got to live wisely among these people. Your Christian life is not just about your personal relationship with God. This ain't just about your prayer time and your Bible reading and what you get out of a church service. That's not what this is about you actually have a major impact on how other people view Jesus. And some people don't like this. They're like, no, 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 Brian. Like, my faith is my thing. I don't want to push it on anybody else. Like, it's just my personal thing. Uh, No, actually, it's everybody's business. (laughs) They're watching you. And if you have any relationships with people who do not believe, I'm telling you, one of the primary reasons you're in their life is for God to use you to help them get closer to Jesus. I'm just telling you, that's one of the reasons you got to live wisely. But Paul even says, you've got to make the most of every opportunity. I love this line. You wouldn't catch it right when you read it. When Paul says opportunity, he's not talking about just random occurrences and coincidences in our lives. The idea there is divine appointments. God strategically placing you in people's lives at specific times for you to have a massive spiritual impact on them. And Paul's saying, you need to pray for these. You need to expect them, you need to look for them, and then you need to capitalize on them when they happen. That is our job. So Paul goes in verse 6 and he says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. There's this famous quote from this monk from hundreds of years ago where he said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. You know what that is? A terrible quote. I hate that quote. It needs to die, all right? It's the worst. And people think it sounds so good and deep. No, it's bad. It's not a good quote because here's the problem. Showing acts of kindness is not the same thing as sharing the good news of Jesus. The Bible says faith comes from hearing. And Paul is saying conversations need to happen. So yes, do good works, be kind, be generous, but don't you dare think bringing cookies to your neighbor is the same thing as sharing Jesus with them. It's, not, it's just not. 
And I know some of you guys are like, well, Brian, I can do the cookie thing. I can do the cookies. God wants you to do the next thing too, conversations. But this is where we struggle, right? This is where it gets hard. This is where the palms start to sweat. It's like, Brian, I can't do the conversation thing. This is when it gets awkward. I don't want to push too hard. I've already alienated some family members. Thanksgiving is hard enough. I don't really, I haven't talked to my neighbors in four years. How am I supposed to reopen that relationship? We don't talk to each other. This is hard. It's a complicated thing, but Paul actually gives us a little bit of a framework for how these conversations should look. He says, first, they need to be gracious. There should be genuine goodwill in the conversations we have with people that don't share our beliefs. It should be pleasant. It should be kind. It should be refreshing and compassionate. But Paul also says it should be attractive. Our conversations should actually create more interest and draw people in. You know what the idea actually there is? Paul is saying your conversation should be seasoned with salt. That's what he's saying. Your conversations should actually stimulate the taste buds of people's souls and cause them to want more. So how do you do that? <laughs> You're like, that sounds great, Brian. Still don't know how to do it. I'm going to spend the rest of this message being as nuts and bolts as I possibly can. Like, we're going to get so painfully practical. I'm going to give a list of just ideas to just get our minds thinking. This is by no means comprehensive. This is even original to me. But I think this will just get us thinking about what can this look like in our daily lives, living out those kinds of conversations and bringing Jesus' presence to people. The first thing you might do with people who, again, would not consider themselves a believer in Jesus is let them know you're a Christian. Now, I had an interesting experience a couple weeks ago. I got invited to a financial seminar from someone in our church. And there were a handful of Northern Hills people there. And I ended up sitting next to a woman I hadn't met before. So we're just doing a little chit-chat thing. And she's like, so what brought you here? I said, oh, a woman from my church just invited me. She said, oh, I kid you not. She, her first question was, how's the pastor at the church? You know what my answer was to her? I said, I don't think you'd like him that much, honestly. I got to keep the bar nice and low for myself in case she comes. So... I was just, I was like, I don't think you'd like him that much. And it was funny that one of the women from the church came by and she's like, oh, he actually is the pastor. And we like made a little joke out of it. And, and the funny thing was, um, she says, you know what? You should come to our church sometime. Like, it's really great. There's awesome people there. It's a lot of fun. Like, I think you'd really enjoy it. And you know what that woman from our church was doing right in that moment? She was letting her friend know that she's a Christian in a non-pushy, non-confrontational, just genuine way. And you know what the lady said? She said, yeah, I would love to check it out sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Where is it? Just all the questions. You know, there's a way to just live out your faith just genuinely, just real. And can I just, moment of honesty with everybody, can I just be honest for a moment? I had a season in my life where I genuinely tried to avoid the whole letting people know I'm a Christian deal. Can I just be real? Because sometimes it's just awkward sometimes. So people would ask me, hey, what are you doing this weekend, Brian? Well, you know what the answer is for me? Church, that's what I do every weekend. I have to be here, okay? You guys are choosing to be here. I get paid to show up on Sunday. I gotta come, all right? I like to be here, by the way, but you know how it is. And so that's my answer. But I'm like, sometimes I would just, avoid, oh, nothing, not really. And I would just kind of avoid the conversation. Well, God has taken me on a journey. I'll be honest with you guys. I've been free of this. So now if somebody asks me, what are you doing this weekend? I'll just be like, hey, I'm gonna be up at Estes on Saturday with the family. Should be a good time. Sunday, we actually do church on Sunday. And we're going in this cool series. I love this church I'm a part of. There's awesome people there. And I'm just real. I'm just real about it. And sometimes it leads to, oh, well, what church do you go to? One of the services. Maybe I'll check it out sometime. And sometimes it leads to crickets. <laughs> and guess what? 
that's okay. You just live out your faith in a non-pushy way, just genuine about who you are, not trying to hide it, and then let God do the work. Just let him do the work. Now, let me go through some of these. I'll go through some of them faster. One thing you might be able to do is ask someone about their faith. You know, a weird thing Christians sometimes feel is we feel this pressure to close the deal as quickly as possible, right? We're like, I have 2.3 seconds to convert you. Okay, Jesus, pray with me now. And it's like, no wonder people think we're all weird. And sometimes you just need to take a chill pill for a moment and just show some interest in somebody's life. Ask them, hey, you got any spiritual history? Did you grow up in church before? Like, do you have any faith in your life now? What do you believe? And what's fascinating is everybody believes something. They really do. And just show some interest in their life. And it might open up more conversations about faith and life. Ask them. Be interested. A third thing you might do is listen to their problems. Now, I think we have a small talk crisis in our culture these days. We just love small talk. How are you doing? Oh, good, good. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. We're all good. Meanwhile, our lives are up in flames and we're hating everything, but we're all good. And I found that there are so many people that truly don't have another person they can be 100% transparent with. Like, like they really don't have a single one. And we as Christians are called to care and be compassionate and show real interest in people's lives. And God very well may use you to be a trusted confidant in somebody's life. You just simply ask, how are you doing really? Like truly, how are things? And that little door that gets open may open an opportunity to really share with people. You might even be prompted at times to pray for someone. You just say, hey, you know what? Prayer actually has really made a difference in my life. Would you be okay if I just pray with you real quick over this? And if, they might say no, and you've got to read the situations. You just say, okay, I'm going to pray with you in my private time. And you check in, and you just care about their life. You know what you can also do, though? You can share your problems. Now, this is also a challenge for Christians sometimes. Because I felt this too. We don't want to make Jesus look bad to other people sometimes. So we're like, my life is perfect. Ever since I've been a Christian, I've got no problems. And you should be a Christian too. So you don't have any problems. We can all fake it with everybody else. That's the pressure we feel. But I have found that people are so much more receptive when you're just real about your life. The good, the bad, the ugly. I actually, I had an experience with a woman just a few weeks ago. And she gave me the sincere ask, how are you doing really? And I'm like, you know what? I'm really tempted just to say good right now, but I'm going to bite. I'm going to bite on this lure see where this goes. So I said, you know what? I don't like my kids right now. <laughs> Real talk. Any parents in the room know what I mean? All right, is that, you know what I mean, though? Truly, you love them, but man, sometimes you just do not like them. So I'm like, just real talk, don't like my kids right now. And that was a perfect opportunity for her to be like, well, geez, I wouldn't expect a pastor to say that. Like... Shouldn't you be grateful? And come on, man. You're lucky to have kids. And you know what she said in the most kind, loving, non-judgmental way? She said, Brian, you will never love and hate anybody more than your own children. <laughs> I felt so loved. I felt understood in that moment. And there's just a power to the realness in our lives. And again, I know there's appropriate ways and overgushing. I understand all that. But if you will just be genuine about your life, you'll be like, you know what? My job is just soul-sucking right now. I'll be honest with you. I've been on 27 dating apps, and I'm as single as I have ever been. I just feel like binge-watching Netflix and eating ice cream out of the carton. That's how I feel right now, like just real talk. But you know what this is also an opportunity to do? 
just be real about your faith too. And you say, you know what? Even in these tough seasons, God has just taught me a lot. I've learned to trust. I'm becoming more patient. It's a process. And you just be real about the journey you're on with God. Share your problems. Let me go through just a couple more. You might have an opportunity to actually provide resources. There may be people in your life that are actually open to listening to a podcast, watching a YouTube video, going even through a book together, reading a website page. Like they actually might be interested in some of that. And you'll have a chance to be like, hey, you want to just check this out with me? And we, let's go out to coffee and catch up. I just want to hear your thoughts. Let's just have a discussion about it. And maybe you even just invite them to read some of the Bible together. You say, i got a short little book of the New Testament. We can read it just together and let's just talk about it. Just real stuff. Now, the hard thing for some people with this is you're like, Brian, I have no idea where to start. What do I even give these people? I don't read. I barely read the Bible myself. What do I do? And one thing I'm excited about is in the next couple weeks, we're actually going to be launching a brand new website for the church. It looks awesome. Tempe, our communications director, has been working so hard on it. And one of the pages we're hoping to add there is actually just a recommended resources page where we will give you different things you can bring with someone who's exploring Christianity, a new Christian, lost friends, and just a lot of different things to get your brain going and even have some resources in your hands. So I hope that's a blessing to everybody. That'll come in a couple weeks. We'll let you know when it happens. One thing you might be able to do too is simply share your story. I'm wondering how many people in this room would be able to share their entire life story in three minutes or less and include some dynamics that show God's work in your life. Could you do that? Because I'm telling you, there's so many opportunities to actually make the most of a conversation. And you can share with people just genuinely how God has worked in your life. And what happens then is they hear it and they start to wonder if maybe God can work in their life too. That is something worth practicing and even mastering. I would challenge you to try that. Let me just do two more real quick. One thing you might be able to do, answer questions and objections. So you actually probably have some people in your life that kind of like the back and forth. They like to have some of those conversations. They're talking about ideas and everything. The risk of this is that it just degenerates into intellectual battles and debates. And I've never seen anybody converted by having an experience like that. This is actually more of an opportunity to listen and show people that there are compelling reasons to really believe in Jesus and good answers to their questions. So you can just simply ask somebody, hey, why do you find Christianity hard to believe? Truly. Like, what are the hang-ups for you? Not pushing. And to be honest with you guys, the list of hang-ups is not that long, truly. A lot of the questions are, well, what about suffering? How do we explain that? What about hell, science and religion? Why are Christians jerks? Sexuality, just all of the questions. And actually, there are really compelling answers to every single one of those questions. And you can research that yourself. And what I've even found, just a little pro tip, sometimes the best answer to a question is another question. So they just ask you, say, oh, well, why do you believe that? I'm curious. Oh, well, what led you to that place? And you just help them explore their own beliefs together. And you know what happens at the end of some of these conversations? People leave thinking, huh, they weren't a jerk. I'm not mad right now. I'm actually kind of interested, and maybe I'll have another one of those conversations. That's where it can land. Let, let me give one more. We'll tie this thing up. You can invite them to a church event. That's simple. Now, back in the day, this used to be step one with people sometimes. You're like, hey, you want to come to church with me? Great. We'll go this Sunday. I'll raise my hand at the end of the service. We're all good. Everybody's saved in a week. It's all done. This very well might be step 27 in the process for some of the people we care about. I've got, I've got friends in my life who will not cross the threshold of this church. They're not even close. And so you just walk in that process. But some of us, you need to realize you have a friend who may be open to an invitation. 
You say, hey, would you join me for church one day? I'd love to have you. Seriously, it's a great group of people. Maybe come to our men's thing. Check out the women's thing. We got other events going on. There's so many opportunities and you just don't know what God might do. He may use that for a divine appointment in their life. What I'm trying to get at everybody is that God wants to use you for divine appointments. He wants to use you to completely transform the lives of other people. And there's actually a woman in our very own church. Her family and them moved out here. They're in a neighborhood right near Nicole and I. And they moved into this neighborhood and there was a same-sex female couple on the street. And she noticed that this couple were kind of treated like outsiders in some ways. And she was really struggling with this tension. Honestly, just very real tension to struggle with. She's like, I want to show them all the love in the world, but I got to navigate. I got young kids. How do I explain that to them? How do we just kind of go through this journey together? But she had this defining moment. She's like, you know what? I am going to open my lives to these women. We are going to befriend them. We're going to make ourselves available. We're going to show them the love of Jesus. So she would reach out. She would text. And she, she even said herself, like, felt kind of one-sided for a while. Like, she's doing all the reaching out, not getting a lot of reciprocation. But it was a couple months ago when I was doing a Q&A message, and I was specifically answering a question around homosexuality. And at the very moment I was answering this question, this woman in our church got a text from one of those women in that couple. And the woman reached out to her and, and just thanked her for again, reaching out, connecting, and even opened up and said, I know you believe in God. And that's still something I don't really believe myself, but I would love to have more conversation. She opened up her life to this woman in our church who became a trusted confidant for her because of what she did in her life. You cannot convince me that God did not send that text at that exact moment to encourage that woman in our church that she was doing exactly what God was calling her to. And Northern Hills, you know, that is what it looks like to go. That's what it looks like to go. That's what it looks like to live your life just in an authentic, loving way, allowing your faith to flow out in a genuine, attractive, compelling way so people then can just get a taste of Jesus and maybe have a divine appointment themselves. We are all called to this. God wants you to go on this adventure. He wants to use you to do this. And I mentioned even Brendan at the beginning of the message. Remember Hopeless Case Brendan? Now, his life started to tailspin during this season. He started getting into hard drugs. He even got to a point where he couldn't fall asleep without a certain level of alcohol in his system. He was absolutely spiraling. And it was during this season when he had someone at his school sitting behind him in class who went to the very same exact youth group I was going to, the cult. Remember the cult that he was saying I was going to? And this friend starts inviting him to this youth group. He says, hey, you should come check it out. And of course, Brendan wanted nothing to do with this cult. And yet this friend just kept pushing, hey, I would love to have you come join us. And so finally he warmed down and Brendan said, okay, I'll come to your stupid youth group. And what he wasn't expecting is that God had a divine appointment for him that night. And Brendan got saved by Jesus. He sought him out and had his life transformed. And Brendan, Almost overnight, he got free of his alcohol. He threw away the drugs. He got on a path to go to college. Everybody, he went on staff at the church that he was calling a cult for. The God has a sense of humor. Isn't that just funny? God's like, no, I'm going to put you on staff too, okay? And today, Brendan is a wonderful young Christian man with a great woman in his life following the purposes of God, and he's experienced total transformation in his life. 
a divine appointment. You can clap. You can clap. God wants to use you to do that in the lives of people all around you. He wants to use you for divine appointments. He wants to use you so people can have that experience that Zacchaeus had, Brian Welch, Brendan, and I know many people in this room have had. Northern Hills, let's go. And let's allow God to use us to seek and save the lost. Can I get a good amen from the church family today? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we are just in awe of who you are, that you would love us enough to seek us out. You would come to this earth to seek and save every single one of us hopeless cases, Lord, that we can't save ourselves. But you did for us. You died on a cross. You rose from the dead. And now you are changing lives every single day. We thank you for the baptisms today and the many more that are coming. We thank you for many of us in this room. We've had that experience of total transformation. We're not perfect, but you are working in our lives. You are giving us hope. We know there is a God who loves us and is involved in every detail. If you're someone in this room though right now, you still feel like a hopeless case. You wonder if there really is a God that can love you that much that we'd come and seek you out. You need to know today, that there is a God who loves just that much. His name is Jesus and he's seeking you out and you can reach out to him right now. You can invite him into your life and just say, Jesus, I'm inviting you in. Cleanse me, forgive me, set me free from my sin. I wanna have a relationship with you. Just reach out to him in your head and your heart. Lord, I pray for everybody reaching out to you that they would have the same experience Zacchaeus and Brian Welch and Brendan had real transformation, freedom, salvation. Lord, I pray you would save people today, transform their eternities, change the trajectory of their lives. And we thank you for it. And for all of us now, Lord, I pray that we would be bold as we go out, living with just courage and confidence, knowing that you have divine appointments for us. You have opportunities for us to bring your love and your grace, Lord. I pray that we would season every conversation with salt, the taste buds of people's souls being drawn into the reality of Jesus flowing through us. Lord, help us be a church that goes well. Give us, again, that courage for the people we care about and let us see those opportunities so we can make the most of them and see you transform lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.